You are Locked On Reds and Locked On Red Sox. We've got a post-series crossover for you here today. I'm Jeff Carr, co-host of Locked On Reds. we got Steve Offenbaker. He's my co-host on Locked On Reds. Lauren Campbell from Nesson. She is co-host of Locked On Red Sox. And Jake Iggy. Ignashewski, right? Ignashewski, yes. Iggy is here with us, Jake. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have all of you guys here together. I'm, I'm happy that the Reds split because I was looking at this series and I'm like, you know what? They coming in, they're coming in hot. They've got a little bit of momentum on their side. Maybe they can sweep, but they're definitely not in that same position from a while back where I'm like, good Lord, are they going to beat anybody? Are they going to beat a junior varsity team at this point? So we're going to break down some big thoughts from this series, including my thoughts on Luis Castillo and some huge surprises from the series as well and what our teams look like moving forward. But I wanted to start with your guys' takes. And Lauren, I want to start with you because when it came to this series, the Red Sox are still fighting there in the American League East. I know the Yankees got this crazy hot start, but I think we all agree that they're going to come down to earth eventually. And this was kind of a two-game set that the Red Sox were like, hey, kind of need to get up on this one. Yeah, I was convinced that the Red Sox were going to sweep this series. You came in, the, the the Reds have one of the worst pitching staffs in the National League. The offense was clicking at the right time. And I was like, every time I've said this is the perfect series for the Red Sox to turn things around, <laughs> they go flat. So maybe I should stop saying that. But Castillo was incredible against a very tough offensive team. And I mean, if you can keep Bogarts and Martinez and Devers off the off the base path and away from the baseball, you're doing your job right. So I, I can't be mad at what he did. It was incredible what he does, what he did, and again against this offense. And then you look at even on Wednesday's game, the pitching was was really good through three or four innings. You, I mean, I was like, oh god, here we go again. This is going to be a, another three two two one heartbreaker for the Red Sox. But the offense came in clutch late, had some nice, nice timely hits from JBJ and Alex Verdugo. But overall, this series, not was not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be more of the Red Sox taking control of the series. But the pitching, I thought, was a lot of just a lot of fun to watch from both games. Yeah, there was. There was a lot of good dealing off the mound. And, you know, Steve, it was the first time that the Reds won a game at Fenway Park since 1975. I think we all remember that very vividly. Uh, game 7 of the 1975 World Series. But what was your biggest thought from the two-game set? Well, while we have a captive locked on Red Sox audience, I'd just like to take one more opportunity to remind the people in Boston that were around for that 75 World Series that the Reds won Game 7. It did not end with Pudge Fisk <laughs> going down the line, waving the ball. The Reds won Game 7. Just want to remind people of that. But talking about this series, Jeff, you know, when we previewed this, you know, I thought all along it was going to be a split that uh, we would get one. And I, I had it backwards. I really thought that Hunter Green would come into this game and, you know, dominate that lineup just a little bit. Um, you know, I thought we saw enough signs of him moving in that direction for that to be a, a, a safe bet and turned out not to be true. And I'm a little disappointed. So that was a surprise for me. Uh, also a surprise for me was really the, the effectiveness of Luis Castillo, not in as much as he has that ability, but just that he's put it all together so quickly since joining 
the Reds rotation. You know, obviously he got off to a late start. He got off to an injured start. And, you know, what we've seen with Castillo is it usually takes him a couple months to really get heated up and do the things that we saw him do in this start against the Red Sox. So from a surprise standpoint, uh, for him to be as far along as he is, that's a very pleasant surprise. And this team doesn't have very many of those. So I was really happy to see that play out in the first game of the series. I think you read my mind, so I'm going to have to change my Jake. I'll come to you because i got to think about mine for a second now. But it, when you looked at this series, and honestly, I, I was kind of with Lauren. I thought that J.D. Martinez was going to feast. I thought that Rafael Devers was going to feast. What was your biggest thought from the two games? I couldn't believe how much the Red Sox struck out. 15 times game one, and uh, I, I saw that Hunter Green got eight strikeouts tonight and uh, you know 13 total in this one. I, I mean – that's incredible. 28 over two games. And, uh, you know, I, I was very impressed uh, with the pitching on both sides. It was, it was a pitching duel for, you know, both games other than obviously the score looks different uh, in game two. But Hunter Green pitched well. You know, if Jeff Hoffman didn't allow those tons of runs in the late innings, it, it would be a much different uh, looking score. But uh, ultimately for me, I, I can't believe that J.D. Martinez struck out six times in two games over one of the worst uh, pitching staffs in the MLB. And um, quite honestly, like I had to do some research before this episode because the heads, the Reds have been on a hot streak. Look, looking at their record, I honestly couldn't believe that they had 17 wins because you know, I didn't take a double dig. I'm like, wait, they had three the last time, or they had like five the last time I looked. Like it was single digits. Uh, but it's been really cool to see, you know, how this team has had sort of a resurgence and uh, you know it really showed with how they played in these two games it's really been a tale of two months because the month of April was absolutely horrid because that's when the Reds only won three games but then in the month of May they went over 500 and won 14 and 13 I was just absolutely shocked with their turnaround part of it has been that starting pitching in the first month of the year they had a starting pitching ERA of over six and it's really calmed down here lately they went 31 games without a quality start or without a pitcher even going six innings. And so then they took on a streak of like seven out of eight or something like that where they had guys getting quality starts. It's been such a weird – and you really see how crazy baseball is with these numbers. And I think my biggest takeaway really from this series was David Bell. I think that he actually pulled all the right strings, and everyone loves to pile on David Bell whenever the Reds are losing. So I think that it's only fair that we kind of give him some credit. He pulled all the right strings in game one to get the win, and really the way that Hunter Green was pitching in this game, it was so easy to tell that in the fourth inning, everybody figured out that fastball. They couldn't figure it out in the first three innings, and that's really what kept the Red Sox lineup at bay, but then they timed it, and it's over because the fastball really doesn't move. It doesn't have a ton of spin on it, and so if you can just time how quickly it's coming to the plate, you can clobber it like they were doing in the fourth inning. And David Bell saw that and said, I'm not going to force him. I'm not going to force a square peg into a round hole here. I'm bringing in the bullpen, and we're going to stop the bleeding right here. Now, Jeff Hoffman didn't work out. This is the first game, and I'm not – Steve, I'm not taking the low-hanging fruit. I'm not going to do it. I'm just saying, hey, look, it's a bad it's a bad outing for, for Lauren, Jake. I, I don't like Jeff Hoffman, but he's actually been really good this year until this game. Um, but – he he just he just didn't quite work out. But David Bell's been pulling all the right strings here lately, and I think that for as much as every single fan of every single team gives every every single manager as much crap as they do, 
we got to celebrate whenever they pull the right strings. Yeah, I mean, Red Sox fans deal with that with Alex Cora and the lack of weapons he has out of the bullpen. He's He has he can only do so much with what he's given. And nine times out of ten, maybe that's being a little generous. I feel like he makes the right call. But you still, I mean, you have to celebrate when he makes the right call. And sometimes he makes a questionable call. And you're like, this is, this is dumb. This is not going to work out. And then it works out. And you're like, this man's a genius. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, and it's something that we'll break down a little bit more later on in this episode, but when you look at the Red Sox in the AL East, Jake, and looking around at the pitching that we saw today with the Red, with the bullpen and things like that, where do you think it falls within the AL East? The AL East, I mean, it, it's been very surprising to me to see, uh, you know, how some of the teams have performed. I, I mean, so, uh, when you look at the last series, I uh, honestly thought it was going to be a clean sweep for the Red Sox against the Orioles. They actually kind of surprised me. They're actually not as bad as they have been over the last five years. But e- even looking at some of the teams who made some massive moves in the offseason, the Toronto Blue Jays and Tampa Bay Rays, I, I mean, they really haven't lived up anywhere close to the expectations that most people expected, especially the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, as you mentioned at the start of the show, I I really think that the Yankees are going to fall down to the earth uh, very soon. You know, we saw what happened with the Red Sox last season, had the best record going into the All-Star break, ended up up having an atrocious August, and then ultimately came down to one or two games to make in the playoffs in 2021. Uh, But with the Red Sox, like Lawrence said, they really just need the back end of that bullpen to be very consistent because they have no closer it's closer by committee right now, and they, I believe they still lead the league in blown saves. And uh, we, Lauren and I have a joke that it seems like any time uh, that I, I, I do a show that's solid, the Red Sox go into extra innings, there's a blown save. I don't know what it is, but there's some bad juju with the Red Sox bullpen. Well, I tell you what, there were quite a few surprises, even just in these two games, and one of them was just a crazy statistic that the Reds accomplished in game one. I'm going to tell you what that is right after I tell you about the best place to get your next auto part. I don't know if you guys do the do-it-yourself stuff or if you've gone to a brick-and-mortar store like just down the road or something like that looking for a part for your car, but they really upcharge you. I mean, we're talking like 30, 50, 100% more. RockAuto.com doesn't do that. They've got all the parts that your car will ever need, and they've got reliably low prices no matter if you're a do-it-yourselfer or if you're a professional. Jake, what kind of car do you drive? Honda Civic. they got parts for your car. Lauren, what kind of car do you drive? Honda CRV. They got. We like Hondas, man. I drive a <laughs> Honda Accord. Steve, he doesn't have a Honda. He's he's not cool. I um, don't, Jeff. But as the, our <laughs> listeners know, every car in my life right now is broke down most of the time. <laughs> so you need Rock Auto more than anybody, and they've got all the parts that you're gonna need. And you can check out their easy to use interface too, because I don't know if you're like me. I, I'm I'm not really that savvy on the individual parts. They'll help you find a brake lamp or a brake pad, depending on which one you actually need. Go to rockauto.com today, and when you're checking out in the How'd You Hear About Us section, type in Locked On to let them know that your pals from the Locked On Reds and Locked On Red Sox sent you. That's rockauto.com, and in the checkout section, in the How'd You Hear About Us area, type in Locked On. rockauto.com has all of the parts that your car will ever need. Thanks for making Locked On Reds and Locked On Red Sox your first listen. Go make your second listen after we're done telling you about this two-game set between the Red Sox and Reds. Go make your second listen Locked On now. 
Locked On Now covers the MLB season like no other podcast can because it has local analysis from our experts of all the Locked On podcasts on the MLB channel. In under 30 minutes, you'll get every single game every single day. No better way to go through the MLB season than with Locked On Now. It's just like Locked On Reds and Locked On Red Sox, free and available on all platforms. And make sure that you're subscribed to Lockdown Reds and Lockdown Red Sox because it's a long season. There's a lot going on here. But we had some surprises from these two games. And I'm going to start because the biggest surprise for me was not that the Reds won one game or not that they won game one. It was how they won game one. Two unearned runs. And in fact, there were some folks that did some digging the other day, and they said that there's only six times, I think, in the history of the franchise, and the Reds have been around for a while, that they won a game without scoring or without getting an RBI. There were no RBIs for the Reds in that game. And as much as people love that stat, we weren't able to look around and be like, hey, so-and-so led the team in RBIs. Which was, again, a very nice move by David Bell, putting in Alejo Lopez to come around and score on that weird error by I thought Xander Bogarts made a really good throw to first base there in the top of the ninth and it just I don't know why it wasn't picked but overall I thought that that game was so crazy for the way that the Red Sox defense had played is that kind of something that's been a bugaboo all year did that just pop out of nowhere it's been so when the pitching's good the defense is off when the defense is on then the pitching's off like there's always something that's kind of like halting the Red Sox from reaching their potential and the defense it just happened to be the defense on Tuesday that ball should have been picked I'm sitting there like wanting to rip my eyeballs out and I'm just like (laughs) why like I'm not I'm not a professional athlete so I'm not going to sit here and be like oh I could have picked that I I, it probably would have knocked me over but I thought it was a good play I thought right then I was like oh no like this is not going to go the way the Red Sox want it to but the defense, I feel like overall has been fine. It's just they're always going to have off nights. And when you have Franchi at first base, who doesn't always play first base, there's going to be some issues there. And Bobby Dahlbeck has struggled too. So I feel like no matter who you put there, maybe if you put someone else there, they maybe would have had the pick. We can't play what ifs with that. But the defense has been a fine it hasn't been my biggest issue. I rant way too much about the bullpen for me to, to harp on this defense. No, I, and, and I feel that. And honestly, when you looked at that, that was something that I thought about with the Red Sox first base is like, is that a position that if they sense they're close, are they going to be buyers and maybe do they look at first base, Jake? I, I don't I don't really think so. Uh, I, I think with Bobby Dalbeck and Frenchy Cordero, you know, we've seen Frenchy Cordero be a lot more disciplined at the plate so far this season you know even even though he did strike out three times tonight uh but you know really looking at bobby delbeck as well we saw what he did in the second half so all we can really do is cross our fingers that he does make uh that sort of similar breakout second half and uh figure some things out because we're, we're seeing him platooning right now with frenchy cordero but at the moment tristan castis is still definitely the future uh at first base currently injured right now uh in worcester uh with an ankle injury he, he hasn't picked up a bat in around a week or so uh so ho- hoping that he finds a way to get back on the field in the next week and uh, i would not be surprised if the red Sox call him up 
maybe late July, August. He's still trying to work some things out, uh, still trying to figure out, uh, you know, ways to uh, get get a little bit more disciplined at the plate and get ready for that MLB pitching. And something that Lauren and I have talked about time and time again is that people can't think that Cassis is going to be the savior. We saw what happened with Jaron Duran when he got called up. Look, you could put a blindfold on him, he probably would have hit better. But uh Cassis just needs a little bit more developing and, you know, hopefully Dalbeck and uh, Frenchy can really hold their own because, you know, this team is a playoff team. And I, I really hope that that position doesn't hinder them down the line. So a July call up of Cassis really wasn't surprising. What surprised you from these two games? Well, I mean, what surprised me was, uh, you know, I, I was very happy with how the bullpen played. Um, e- even some guys that you don't really expect to really do too, too well. You know, Tyler Danger has uh, struggled a little bit in um, some, some timely and uh, critical times. And uh, we, we saw him, you know, allow a grand slam to the Astros a few weeks ago. So, you know, I was a little bit nervous uh, when they put him in a, in a one-run ball game. And he ended up uh, pitching one, two-thirds, three strikeouts. Tanner Houck also did very well. Austin Davis. Uh, and you know, one, once again, M- Michael Walker uh, did, did very well, which, which was really nice to see him, him continuing his his nice streak. So overall, Red Sox pitching staff, lot to like, and it's it's weird with how the offense has been the. I think it was the best in April, uh, the best in May, and now against the Orioles and the Reds, it, as a fan, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, do the math. I I just don't get it. I'm with you. Baseball, will baseball, that's for sure. Michael Waka, 121 and two-thirds innings. I remember the stat from the prep coming into that game against the Reds in a 2.8 ERA. He just he feasts whenever he pitches against the Reds. Steve, surprisingly enough, you were right. You predicted a split. So what surprised you since uh, obviously you were Nostradamus here? Well, you know, as I alluded to earlier, I, I was a little disappointed. I was surprised that Hunter Green didn't – I guess turn the corner a little bit. You know, he he looked good early on. Uh, he did have a lot of strikeouts, but you know, as has been the case, once they time him up, there, there's a problem. But the thing that's kind of exciting for me is it continues to look like Joey Votto is going to find his power bat. Uh, you know, it's no secret that Fenway Park is my favorite uh, ballpark outside of Cincinnati, and uh, you know that old girl robbed Joey Votto of two home runs in that first game, and well, the park and the umpires. But uh, you know, it's exciting <laughs> to see that Votto is starting to to find that stroke a little bit, and they mentioned it on the Reds broadcast. Uh, in that second game that uh, everybody's kind of excited to see what is in store for Joey Votto when he gets back to Great American Ballpark for the, this next homestand because, you know, we started to see it when he came off the injured list in Toronto. Uh, it's been kind of intermittent, but it really looks like that that power stroke is going to make an appearance. And that's really what the Reds need for to be able to continue to build upon the momentum they've gained in May and to head into June and get to that magic number of 74 that we're all looking for. I think if Joey Votto could be sitting here with us, which would be super cool if he did, but he would probably say his biggest surprise was the fact that he had so many doubles because this were a great American ballpark. He'd have had a bunch of homers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he has looked a lot better lately after coming off the COVID IL. And, and when I look at probably the biggest surprise for me on this Red Sox team, it was just the lineup as a whole kind of, I mean, it, it ate in game two for sure, but just the way that it didn't really challenge Luis Castillo as much as I thought. And I know that you had mentioned that early on, Lauren, but when you kind of thought about the biggest surprise, was that it or was it something else? 
It, that was part of it, yes. And I think some of the, the bigger surprises from Wednesday in particular was Alex Verdugo having a really good night. He's come in clutch before. He's had a, He's really struggled at the plate. He's struck out a lot. And he's still trying to find his groove. But to come out and play clutch role and get some runs in for the Red Sox and JBJ too, he went two for four, had four RBI. So you look at those two when... You know, Red Sox fans were not happy about bringing JBJ back for his for his offense, and he's really been able to kind of step up in that regard. But then you look at Tuesday's game, and that's when the offense you needed the offense. You had JD Martinez, you had Trevor Story. It was the perfect setup for the Red Sox to walk off, and they can't stop swinging at the first pitch. Drives me absolutely bonkers. And it's like you you have powerful bats. Stop wasting your swing on the first pitch <laughs> when you're only down one. Like it's okay. But I was I was impressed with Verdugo and JBJ because someone like Verdugo needs to get going and something like Wednesday night can really do wonders for his confidence. So very excited to see that he kind of came on came up big for the Red Sox on Wednesday. Without having looked at his career numbers, I couldn't say for sure, but there's just there's something about JBJ that feels like he just plays well against the Reds because I, I can remember many times as a brewer when he just drew a walk out of nowhere, and I think his on base was something like 082, and all of a sudden he's walking. Like, I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, JBJ seems to get his when he plays the Reds. And coming up, we're going to talk about why these two teams moving forward are going to look much different because, well, there's lots of games left to be played. That's coming up in just a moment after I tell you about Blue Nile. Don't make it a mystery on where to get your next shiny thing. Go to BlueNile.com. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. You can build the engagement ring of her dreams. Blue Nile has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond's shape, size, and clarity, as well as the setting style. Blue Nile's bench jewelers... I tried. Jewelers will then handcraft her perfect... I should have made you do this, Steve. Her her perfect engagement ring. Each ring is one of a kind. And if you're looking for fine jewelry to celebrate a special moment, but having trouble choosing, Blue Nile can help. They have jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Reds and Locked On Red Sox listeners get $50 off a purchase of $500 or more. And that includes, in this podcast exclusive, engagement rings. Use the promo code Locked On at checkout to get that $50 off your $500 order. That's Locked On at checkout. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in packaging that's not going to give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. You know, I read that earlier, and I actually hit the word jewelers. I'm going to avoid that word from now on. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what our teams look like moving forward because one team has a lot better aspirations for this year and another team is looking toward the future so well, i you can rest assured the reds aren't going to be looking for a jeweler that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> oh Hopefully no the socks are. Uh, yeah well they can save 50 dollars off 500 with the promo code locked on um, <laughs> so yeah lauren tell me about the good things that are coming to the red Sox here this year 
the good the good news for the Red Sox is the Angels and the A's are three and seven in their last ten, and the Mariners are four and six in their last ten. That's good news for the Red Sox. I'm not gonna say what I always say when they should get a fire under them because it's gonna be bad. But this is a long road trip for them, and they're going out west, and they have a day off for travel, and then it's nine game road trip, I believe. So this is you know a good time for some momentum to get things right. You have a lot of momentum going right now. Even from Tuesday's game, you still have a little bit of momentum on your side. And this is a good time to beat up on teams, especially the Angels, who kicked your butt when they were here earlier in May. And Otani struck out Trevor Story four times and had Fenway booing him. So this is a really good time for the Red Sox to kind of get that revenge, gain some ground, not so much, not even in the AL standings, but over last place of the Orioles like build that build that ground because I can't have them being like two games from each other in last place because this Red Sox team and Jake and I have said this for the last what 40 games that this team is much better than it's showing and it's it's mind-boggling that it's June and we're still talking about issues that it just can't seem to work out but this is a, a really solid time to beat up on teams that you should beat anyway and start and get yourself above 500 or get yourself to 500 even. Red Sox fans would just love to be at 500 right now. It's just mind-boggling to see when it comes to the AL East how much talent there is at the top. I mean, you got the Yankees, you got the Jays, you got the Rays, but that addition of the third wild card spot really opens up a lot of possibilities here. Jake, do you think that this is a case of the Red Sox really vying for that spot or do you think that they have their sights set higher? I, I hope it's higher. I, I really <laughs> hope that going into that final week, it's not uh, that type of race that we saw at the end of the 2021 season. You know, that was a lot of stress uh, going into that Washington national season or series, excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, as Lauren said, I, you just made me think, when's the last time the Red Sox have been over 500? I'm going to have to look into that because it <laughs> has to be in the first week because they, they had a, a they had a losing record for majority of April. And, uh, you know, obviously things have gotten a little bit better in May, but they haven't even made it to 500. And uh, I, I really think that it's nice that the bullpen uh, is, is starting to fill their roles, even though that they don't have a specific closer. Alex Cora is starting to figure it out a little bit more. Uh, Heimbloom did mention that we could be seeing some more uh, young pitchers from AAA get called up to fill in some roles. But as you know, that that doesn't always bandage the issue. So uh, we could be seeing the Red Sox making some moves, uh, you know, within this month or early July. Uh, I really hope they do something before the trade deadline. I, I really hate when teams like let's ignore like this big issue until the big trade deadline when everybody's making moves. But why does that make any sense? Like just fix the issue now so you can start winning games now today. And so, uh, you know, I, I really hope, long story short, that that does not happen to where. Um, I, I, I hope that they're third, second, uh, close in the AL East, and that, like Lauren said, they can start creeping up on the Rays in, in Toronto. So we, we can start feeling a little bit more exciting or excited about where the Sox are going. Speaking of bandages to roster, Steve, uh, the Reds got a lot of those. You know, this is the thing that I keep trying to remind myself about the Cincinnati Reds and, and 
by extension, uh, our listeners. This team is going to continue to get better just by virtue of players coming back from the injured list. Uh, the rotation is going to see an improvement. I don't know how big of an improvement, but it's an improvement for Mike Miner to join this rotation. It's an improvement to have Vladimir Gutierrez now pitching out of the bullpen where he can give you a couple innings and have some success. Uh, it'll be an improvement to get Jose Barrero up here playing the shortstop position and maybe give some flexibility to moving Kyle Farmer over to third base. Uh, those those moves just naturally make this team better. Uh Couple that with the fact that they've actually started to win some games already, and I think we could still be talking about them. I mean, I know it's a long shot to creep back into that third wild card conversation, but it could actually happen if the young pitchers continue to improve. And if that doesn't happen, at least all of the people that listened to us and took the over on the 73 and a half win total, uh, their money is still in play, and this team could get to that magic number of 74 and at least make September interesting for us that did throw down a little bit of money on that bet there were a lot of people laughing at us when we said that in april um yeah but i'm feeling pretty i'm feeling a lot better about it after the month of may i i think moving forward because you mentioned this jake with with the young guys kind of pitching in the bullpen and stuff like this we're going to continue to see this volatility from the reds bullpen because they've made it up with young pitchers who are trying to establish themselves as major leaguers but also trying to build something with this reds franchise Last year, the Reds put together the yard sale version of a bullpen where they just found guys on the waiver wire and inserted them into the eighth inning. And that really didn't work a whole lot. I mean, you had Heath Hembree that, for some reason, in the month of July had like a 45% strikeout rate. And everybody's like... forgot about him. Yeah, I know. Well, (laughs) we tried. We did. We would like to. The good news is he pitches for Pittsburgh now, and he gave up a huge grand slam to Colin Moran. So that was a lot of fun. Who's now in AAA, by the way, Colin Moran is. So there's a lot of whole different moving parts there. But with the young guys that the Reds are working with, like Alexis Diaz, who pitched super well on Tuesday, and and guys like Tony Santion, who are going to continue to get their confidence in as hopefully their defense actually plays well behind him because you know Joey Votto got ate up by that bouncing ball. But overall, there's a lot of guys that you like in this Reds bullpen because they're just learning. They're not, you know, guys that other franchises deemed unnecessary, so they threw them away. These are young guys that are coming up. So I look at the Reds and I say there's still so much to be happy about in the future of this team. This year might be a little bit painful. Might be a little bit disappointing. Might be a little bit frustrating. But to Steve's point, the Reds are actually only 10 games out of the third wildcard spot. That third wildcard spot just changes everything. I mean, shout out to our, our buddy Ethan Smith at Lockdown Pirates. He was super excited earlier on uh, yesterday because he posted that the Pirates were only six games out of the third wildcard spot. And I'm like, well, the Reds are only four games behind them. So, yeah, they're not, they're not dead yet. And it's a long season. The beautiful game. It's a beautiful game, <laughs> I tell you. But overall, though, do you think moving forward, who is going to be the most valuable Red Sox for their run? Chris Sale. What are you going to get back from Chris <laughs> Sale when he comes back in July? I mean, are we are we going to get Chris Sale of last year? Where I mean, I get he came back back from Tommy John surgery. He's not going to be 2018 Chris Sale, but. Uh, that that's the big question you, you know the, are, are you going to get a good ace or are you going to get somebody who I, 
he got hit around by the Orioles. I remember last year that getting bad PTSD from that right now. I, I hope that doesn't happen. You know, it would be nice to feel confident with Chris Sale, especially down the second half. And who knows, James Paxton can come back. And and then you really think about it, Tanner Houck and Rich Hill out of the bullpen as long relievers added with some guys from the trade deadline. That's a, that's a that's a pretty good uh, pitching depth for for a team that is really needing it right now. Yeah, I'm going to say the bullpen. I think that the Red Sox have lost a lot of close games because of the bullpen. They've let games get out of hand because of the bullpen. And they're going to be, I mean, I know they say offense wins you games, but so does pitching. And the Red Sox have a a bullpen issue. And if they can tighten that up, they're going to be dangerous. We've seen that the bullpen wasn't a big issue the first few games of this season. It was the offense, but they've lost too many games by way of the bullpen. And they're not going to be able to get that third wild card card spot and get beyond the wild card game if they don't have trustworthy relief pitchers. Getting a little PTSD talking about bullpen problems. The Reds have <laughs> had that for a few years now. Uh, Steve, if we're talking about an over, if we're talking about seventy four wins, who's the biggest uh, the biggest culprit? We'll say that will lead the Reds to that total. The most important component of this franchise to get to 74 wins is the Reds training staff. Uh, This team has been hit with an abnormal amount of significant injuries through the early part of this season. And if there is any hope at all for the Reds to reach that 74 win total, the Reds training staff is going to have to adjust their methods to get these guys back and then once they're back, keep them healthy. We can't have things like Jonathan India coming back for one game after only 10 days from a hamstring injury. I knew it was a bad idea. You knew it was a bad idea. The only people that didn't know it was a bad idea was the Reds training staff. And they are going to have to make the necessary adjustments to keep this team as healthy as possible going through the dog days of summer to try and at least salvage a respectable season in Cincinnati. It's hard to argue with that. If I had to peg a player, I would say it's India. I mean, he's got to come back healthy and be that leadoff hitter that really led this lineup last year because the Reds are getting nothing at a leadoff spot this year. The the leadoff spot has largely been a black hole. We saw what happened whenever Nick Senzel got on base six times. The Reds scored 20 runs, and part of that was they scored 20 runs, so he got that many at-bats and it played appearances to get on six times. But when the leadoff guy gets on, that just changes the entire dynamic of the lineup because the middle of the Reds' lineup is still pretty solid. Talk about Tyler Stevens and Joey Votto. You've got some interesting at-bats there from other guys, but those two dudes, if they can hit with guys on base, it's going to be a completely different ballgame. So it's got to be Jonathan India coming back healthy and not, like you said, getting rushed back. That seems like a great spot to end it here. Thank you, everyone, so much for checking out this Locked On Reds, Locked On Red Sox crossover. A couple of quick notes. You can follow all of us on Twitter and get our baseball takes all season long. Steve, where can they find you? Uh, You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. That's with two Fs. Lauren? La, 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 Lauren. Three laws. Lauren with four R's. And Jake? By the way, I messed that up so many times starting <laughs> off. Uh, at Giggy, simple. Simple and easy. And you can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs. 
because two Fs were taken, and I had to put that third one in. By the way, it's my middle initial, and that's going to be a cliffhanger ending. Thanks so much for checking out Lockdown Reds and Lockdown Red Sox. Go check out Lockdown MLB as Sully's got you covered. Everything around the league, both past and present. He's got a unique perspective because, well, he's been a baseball fan for a long time. Go check out Lockdown MLB. It's just like Lockdown Reds and Lockdown Red Sox, free and available on all platforms. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow.